this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. At the beginning of every year, we're inundated with media that tells us it's time to renew, time to refresh and set new goals and reimagine our lives. In this episode of the Quilting Arts Podcast, we examine how artists approach the concept of a creative reset and starting fresh. Do you set a word of the year, have a yearly intention, or do you find inspiration at looking back or planning the future? Have you experienced a creative reset that changed your artistic path and led to new discoveries? Today, we invited Tim Natar to join us as artist-in-residence and discuss these topics in more depth. Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Susan Brubaker-Knapp, and I'm here with my co-host, Vivica Hansen-Denegri. Oh my gosh, Susan, it's the start of a new year, and I am so excited to be working in a fresh calendar and planning out everything that I'm going to do with creativity, etc. Um, so that's sort of what I've been working on the last couple of weeks. How about you? What's new and keeping you busy this month? Well, after I got all the Christmas decorations put away, which is always just a huge it's accomplishment. such a slog, isn't <laughs> it? House, I yeah. love putting them out, but getting them back to, back yes. into the box. Oh, yes. That's a job. Yeah. So I've been, let's see, I've been working on getting a piece ready that was juried into a local art gallery exhibition. And um, it had to be either framed or mounted, which is a challenge for an art quilter. Uh, we don't usually do that. So I went to my local frame shop and they quoted me a price of $960 to stretch a canvas Whoa. and put it inside a beautiful frame, but simple frame. And so I purchased my own stretcher bars and my own canvas and I stretched the canvas. I had to buy a couple special tools. Um, so that was kind of exciting and I was really pleased because it looked good and it worked. Okay. Then so let me, wait, let me ask you, what was the price differential of doing it yourself versus having a professional stretch a canvas paint? I would assume it would be painting the canvas or getting a color behind it, et cetera. So I think I spent under a hundred dollars. I had to buy the, the artist stretcher bars, the wooden mm-hmm. ones and put them together. And I bought pre-primed canvas so that it was already painted white and I was able to just stretch it around. But I had to buy a staple gun. I had to buy a a stretcher, which is a tool that you use to pull it around the wood and keep it really tight. So yeah, it it was substantially less money, but I spent almost all day doing that and then stitching it onto the canvas because, so I stitched up through the canvas and took little tiny stitches with thread that matched my quilt in a mm-hmm. few key places along the edge, but you know, you can't get right to the edge because the stretcher, the wooden stretcher bars are under there. So then I had to go up th- with a, a long needle up through and catch just the edge of the quilt and tack it down in a few places so it wouldn't pop up along the edges. How are and your hands? Bad. It yeah. was bad. I already have arthritis in my hands. So yeah, it took me a day for my hands to recover. So Susan, have it. you thought about maybe stitching it to the canvas before you put the canvas around the bars? I thought about doing that, but then if you use that stretcher bar tool, it would be on top of the quilt 
and I'm afraid it would oh. like rip it. And you kind of need to do that. I thought yeah, through a lot of different angles. Tight. Yeah. And, you know, if I had created the piece so that it had extra space around it and I could stretch the whole thing around the stretcher bars, that would have worked. But it was already made as an art quilt when I discovered I had to mount it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was quite the adventure. I don't know that I would do it again. And it made me think a lot about the um, the parameters of art exhibitions and that they, in some cases, maybe they don't work so great for art quilters. And yeah, that that's is part of the reason that maybe there aren't as many art quilts in art exhibitions. It is sort of hard. I actually just saw a call. I think Martha Seelman posted a call from another organization. Um, it was the bird call and everything had to be framed. And like you, I actually got a piece of artwork framed. And I went to our local big box art store, who shall mm-hmm. not be named. <laughs> and um, at the end of it, after the coupon and, you know, all of my rewards, et cetera, that I put in there, I still spent almost $300 to get wow. something framed. And if you do, if you work big, it's almost impossible to frame something. You know, what I love about art quilt or, or art quilts is that you can store them so easily. You just roll them up. I have hundreds of them in my storage area right behind right. me, um, rolled up. And once you frame them in these big, heavy, bulky, expensive frames, what are you going to do with them if you don't sell them? So I actually did two commissions for a local hospital. And actually three, and they are all done exactly the same way. And they're exactly the same size. They're four feet by eight feet. So they're huge for me. Yeah. Since I usually work four inches by six inches, <laughs> they were pretty darn big. And um, so I sold them without being framed. But what I had to do is I had to deliver a perfectly square quilt, meaning all mm. the corners had to be perfectly 90 degrees, to a commercial framer, and which was very different than like going to a local frame shop. They frame things for like friendly's restaurant, et cetera. Uh-huh. So I went to this commercial framer and what they did is they created a floating frame for the work or something very similar to a fro- floating frame. And they used those little plastic tags that you put clothing tags on clothing. You know what they are. Yeah. 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 So little- they used that gun, those guns, and they went through the quilt and actually attached the quilt like every six inches. And I thought, this is going to look horrible, horrible. But they when they shout. hang it up. They don't show at all. And actually, I have been to the, um, well, not recently. It was probably three years ago. I went to the hospital to see them because this is the same floor that my son now is a nurse on. And he's like, Mom, you can't see it. And so I went and looked, and you really, really can't see how they are attached. And, you know, it was a way that that was a reasonable cost for the hospital to do this. And when I tell you, you know, these were expensive for the hospital to purchase and it's now been quite a few years that they've been up, it's still fine. It is absolutely still fine. Interesting. So I think there are a lot of different options that we have. And, you know, that's just that's just one of them. So maybe you could look into something like that too, except you wouldn't want it for something that was going to be closely um, viewed. This right, is something right. that's probably viewed from six feet afar, uh, you know, six feet back. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But yeah. Very cool. Well, the other thing I've been busy with, well, not too busy because most people are the, at Visions Art Museum are doing the work is we've been getting A Better World, which is the exhibition that I curated with Lyric Kennard, um, is going up at Visions and it's going to be there January 15th through April 3rd. 
And so that's been a wonderful experience working with their curatorial staff and they're getting it all set up to show, which is exciting for it to be shown again. It's been um, like a year and a half since it showed before COVID, I guess. We still need a better world. We do. And this is a very inspiring exhibition. I think anybody who sees it, and we also have a website where you can see it. It's, it's a breath of fresh air and it will make you feel good about the world at a time that we all need that. Yeah, we all really do. Yeah. What about personal artwork? Are you making anything in your studio? Yes, I am up to my eyeballs in fungus. Me too, but probably for a different <laughs> reason. <laughs> I'm working on a piece um, that features the turkey tail fungus for my exhibition at the North Carolina Botanical Garden later this year. So I'm having lots of fun with fungus. I set you up for that one because I've been seeing it on, <laughs> on Instagram. I love that particular. I, I always think of it as a lichen. Is there mm-hmm. a difference between fungi and lichen? A lichen is part fungus and part algae. Really? Yes. Isn't that fascinating? You yeah. know so much about so much. <laughs> I know a little bit about a lot, maybe. But yeah, lichens and fungus are related, but they're not the same thing. And I noticed the colorway that you're doing it is actually different than the colorway that I see in the New England forest. Because I see like these grounds and grays and just earth tones. And I think you did it in more greens and yellows. Yeah, it's based on a photo of one I took in my yard about two years ago. And apparently they can be different colors depending on the conditions, whether that's the kind of tree and maybe the minerals or whatever that they're absorbing um, and maybe other conditions. But I've seen them in browns and grays. I've seen them in almost purpley blues in some photos, but mm-hmm. mine was very green. Although I almost always brighten the colors up. Um, it never fails that I try to like be realistic, but I always brighten the colors up. Well, we should have had something about this in our quilting arts magazine that focused on science and art. Um, that would have been a real cool thing. Maybe we'll oh, do yeah, that yeah. theme again. Um, and thinking about science in the natural world and art and how they reflect each other. We do, you know, it's been so fun to have the extra pages in the magazine, a little bit more time to work on it and really be able to get into themes really, really deeply. Yeah. I've really I, enjoyed I that. enjoyed the science and art issue a lot. Good. Thank you. We, it was, it was so much fun to, um, to work on. So one fun thing, thinking about the new year and actually looking at my brand new calendar. Oh gosh, I'm, I'm down the rabbit hole for bullet journaling now. Um, trying to really get organized and be able to find all the content that I need to be working on both personally and professionally. But one of those fun things that happens with either a new month, a new year, a new quarter, et cetera, is that you're really able to take stock of where you are, see if you need a reset and move on from there. And so I'm really excited to bring in our artist of resident artist in residence, Tim Natar to talk about just that. Susan, why don't we take a really quick break and then we'll introduce Timna. Sounds great. Today's artist in residence, Tim Natar, comes from a long line of quilters, but didn't begin quilting until after studying art history in college. She bought her first long arm in 2001 and began quilting for others shortly thereafter. Tim has become really well known for sharing her work in exhibits, through magazine publications, and she's even been on Quilting Arts TV, where we had her a couple of years ago. She's a fabric designer and an in-demand teacher and speaker. 
Timna lives in Western Massachusetts and works out of an old studio in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Welcome, Timna. Thanks. Thanks. It's nice to see you guys or hear you guys. Isn't it fun? I actually really love the fact that when we're recording, we actually see each other on video. Of course, we don't record the video or share that with anyone else, but it is sort of fun to see everybody on the same screen. Yeah. If it were, if you saw me, you'd see me in my casual hoodie outfit, you know, the work from home outfit. <laughs> the work from home outfit. But yeah. what I'm noticing That's is behind pajamas, you. isn't it? <laughs> well, you don't see my sweats on the bottom. <laughs> Business on the top, party on the bottom. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> But I'm seeing beautiful color behind you. And that's actually something that I think of so much when I think of the Timnatar quilt is gorgeous color. I like color. And I don't know how to tone it down. Um, <laughs> like Susan said, she, she was brightens her things up. Mine, I, I try. I try and tone it down and it just does not interest me. So. I think it's good that you don't tone it down. You really don't tone it down. But tell us what's changed in your life recently. I hear you moved. I moved um, two days before Christmas, three days before Christmas. Um, we moved houses, and uh, it was chaotic but great. And we're in a much bigger space than we were before, which means I'm soon going to move my studio from that old mill building into the house again. And I'm really looking forward to doing that because I worked from home for many, many years. And then I moved to the studio because I ran out of space in our house. And um I love the studio. I love shutting the door. I love the light. I have these big ceilings, but I miss like just going downstairs and sewing for 15 minutes and then finishing dinner and then checking my emails. You know, all those things you can do when you work literally in your house. Right. The great work from home. It's a conundrum, but it's also a great thing. Yeah. Too. It's good. Yeah. I did go visit that studio once. It was such a fun thing to see how you actually set it up. And everything. And you do have a pretty big long arm. Is that going to fit in your house too? It is. I have a 12 foot one, so it's not huge. It just looks big in that space. But um, yeah, I'm going to have two separate areas in the house. Like my, we bought the house for my brother and sister-in-law and my brother had a word working shop in part of the house, in one of the rooms. So I'm going to put my long arm in there and then it's going to be storage. And then I have a giant bedroom that's going to be, you know, my design wall and my sewing machines, things like fabric storage. So I'm, I'm not moving till next summer. I'm not moving the studio till next summer. So I'm like just dreaming about what's going to happen now, thinking about it. Well, planning. you know, we moved about two years ago too, and my whole studio situation changed. And it really did make a difference in the way I work and about, you know, I, I love it that I can just pop upstairs and, you know, if I need to eat lunch and then get right back to work. I do find too that I fit in 15 minutes of work here and there yeah, in, a, I, in a nice way. And my studio has always been in my house. So I, I thought seriously about trying to find outside space when we moved and decided that I really loved having my studio in my home. Yeah, I found that I have not been as, um, I don't want to say productive, because I've been productive in different ways, but I haven't been as playful and creating is interesting things, I think, since I've been in the studio. And I think it's because I have to like get dressed, get over there, wait for the heat to kick on because it's like freezing in the winter when I get there <laughs> and then work and then leave to go pick my kid up or, you know, whatever life things happen. So those 15 minutes are, I think they're important for me creatively. 
So we'll see. Hopefully, it's a good move. If not, it was a very yeah. large investment for it to not be a good move. Right. Now, your right. old house was old. 1873, I think? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was. And your new house is much more modern, which means you have more electrical outlets, I understand. Oh, my gosh. We have <laughs> so many extra cords in a drawer right now. Yeah. We have electricity in lots of, in every room. And um, it's just, it's like a whole new world. It's amazing what changing a space can do and how it can change your outlook on what you're creating. So um, when Susan and I were pulling together the idea for this particular podcast, we thought we were thinking about how everyone seems to have a creative reset at at certain times. And it's almost like the media gives us this, um, it's almost like a prompt that says like, it's January, it's time to buy white sheets, you know, and get all (laughs) new sheets, or it's time to buy plastic bins and and get rid of all the stuff you don't want or reorganize what you have. And it's, it also seems to me that you sort of had a forced creative reset in the sense that you're moving. You've, um, you know, you've recently had some really wonderful things happen in your career that we'd love to talk about in a minute. But all of these happened like right at the beginning of the new year. How are you organizing your mind around all of this that's going on? I imagine it's a bit challenging you know, to to jump right back into what you're doing in your studio and everything when you've just upended your whole personal <laughs> life by moving and you're, everything's well, going on. Yeah, but moving during a pandemic is actually a good way to do it because all of my, te- or a lot of my teaching gigs, you know, all of my commitments were less, you know, they got canceled. So um I had time to like think about it and like go through my, all my junk in my old house. You know, mm-hmm. I had time to think about it. And I also kind of pushed, I basically stopped quilting for the last two or three months. I haven't made anything mm-hmm. and um, it's okay. Like I feel like itchy to get back at it, but I also feel like my brain was somewhere else for the last few months. So I'm, I purposely took the time until just after New Year's of just like work on the house, unpack as much as I can. And then on January 3rd, I went back to work. And I will tell you on January 4th, I said to my husband, I am so tired. And he said, that's because you went back to work and you're like actually working and not just sorting through the, you know, in a different way. I was using my brain in a very different way. So, it's true, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's hard to get back there and, and get your mind around it again. Yeah, it's hard, but um, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to like make new things and I have some time now, which I feel like I haven't had time in a while to to just sew with no purpose. Well, you seem pretty intentional about what you do. And I'm thinking about the noble menagerie when I when I think about being purposeful and intentional. I mean, tell us about that series that you created and how it basically led to a fabric line. Yeah, so I um, just started making, I made a chicken, a, a quilt of a chicken that was 40 inches square. And uh, using a technique I call stitched mosaics. So I made that one quilt and then I became kind of obsessed and I made a uh, pig and then I made a cow. And after I made the second or third one, I thought, I'm going to make a series. And I've never intentionally thought about working in a series before. I always do work in series, but I never plan it ahead of time. But this one I did. And I said, I'm going to make 12 quilts that are all the same size. Um, They all have the theme of barnyard animals. And um, that's what I did. I made 12 
animals. And by the time I got to the 12th one, I was pretty much burnt out on on barnyard animals, but I made the commitment <laughs> that I was going to make them. And I did it intentionally so that they could hang together in an exhibit so that they would, I would have a full show as opposed to my kind of random different sizes, different themed um, work. Mm-hmm. So it was very intentional. And so um, then it went to Houston and it was at the quilt festival there as an exhibit. Talk and about a show. I mean, I that is incredible. Congratulations. Thanks. That and is didn't such get a big deal. Oh, because yeah. I was moving. <laughs> so, um, and it was COVID and, you know, all those things. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was super exciting. And it was actually supposed to be last year, you know, in 2020. Um, but then they, they bumped it back to 2021, which I was very thankful and grateful about. And now I can't tell you where, but you'll see it again in another venue in 2022 shortly. Oh, so great. excellent. Yeah. So I'm excited that they're, you know, it's traveling as a group. Oh, that's it, fun. Yeah. And the great thing, also thing about working in a series or having a full collection is that I could present it to, I, I um, signed up as signed as a designer for Studio E Fabrics. And so when they said, what do you have or what are you looking at? I could show them the full collection and then they printed it on fabric as um, panels, um, which I, I would, if I didn't have the full collection, I don't know if I would be a fabric designer because that's not really who I am. I'm not, I didn't go out in the world as to say like, I want to design fabric, but it just, it came about. I really like those panels. They're super fun. Have you been able to see what people are doing with them? That's- are they making them? look like art quilts so they they just quilt them or are they putting them together in interesting ways you know what's interesting is first of all i love that people send me the pictures of the quilts that they're they're working on um they're actually a lot of them are pretty traditional you know they're using the panels and then putting triangles around them or sashing Mm -hmm. them and they're making really adorable like baby quilts and pillows and you know pretty traditional things but they're they're cute and they're easy and they're fun and they're they're striking just as they are. They don't have yeah. to be. Did you have any thoughts beforehand about taking something that's an original work of art and making it available to people to use so that, you know what I mean? Like, I think as an artist, you had to have thought, is this going to take away from what I've created as the original? What was your thought process there? Yeah, You know, I've actually, I've worked with um, Zappy Dots for a long time and they take, they license my images as well and put, um, my quilts on, you know, clothing and like little notions and things. Mm -hmm. And um, the only thing that they had asked me to do is make a quilt is they, or that I have said no to is they wanted to make a a blanket using one of my quilts. And that's the one thing I said, I'm, not okay with that. I, I kind of feel like... Like a fleece blanket or a fu- fuzzy woven... I'm not sure what kind of, it was, yeah, but yeah. It, it didn't matter. It was... Yeah. yeah. And that was the only one I was like, oh, but quilts... I know this is a bad word, but quilts are blankets. And so um, putting them on a t-shirt or whatever is not the same. So I, I don't yeah. have... I'm not that precious about it. So mm-hmm. it's fine for me. So if I were you, I would want that that self-portrait that you did, I would want that like on a mug so I could have my <laughs> nose above the mug and then the picture of the 
<laughs> that was incredible. That was such a cool quilt. Tell, tell us about your self-portrait. It, so I took a photo of myself. It's from my nose up. It's a self-portrait of my morning hair, you know, sticking straight up. I took it a few years ago. I literally sent it to my best friend and said, like, good morning or, you know, something <laughs> like that. And I'd been thinking about that photo for a long time and that I have only ever made, I think, one other self-portrait. And it was in Quilting Arts Magazine. It was the first quilt I ever had published in, I don't know, early t- 2006, 2005. And it was my pregnant belly with a quote that says something like she a woman only wishes she was a year older when she's pregnant or something to that effect so yeah so that's the only other self-portrait I did so that was I was thinking about doing it I'm gonna have to look that up because I don't know that one and I wonder was it from a was it from a like reader challenge yeah yeah I'll find that I'll I'll send you the um issue fun yeah number but yeah um Oh, so anyway, I worked, you know, blew up this photo of myself to 48 inches square and got to see all of my pores and all of my (laughs) wrinkles and my hair. You know, it was, uh, uh, I was expecting it to be really daunting. Like I wouldn't want to work on my blemishes, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was fine. It was totally fine. It was great. It's fun. Like you said, some things are precious and some things aren't. And when you when you blow a picture of your face up really big and you see what you really look like really big, it's it's definitely daunting. It's a it's lot. Daunting. Yeah. Unless you're unless you're super vain, then you'd probably be really into it. <laughs> well, well, I call my big quilt my narcissist quilt now. You know, the picture of my face that I've that I've uh, I published it in Quilting Arts magazine because we were doing something about about portraits and I blew it up to be as tall as I am tall, five feet, four inches. So it's 64 inches by 64 inches. It's, it's hideous to see something <laughs> that big, especially since there's nowhere to put it. I mean, what do you do? So I fold it up all the time, but every once in a while I'll hang it up just to get the wrinkles out. And I had it hanging behind me on a Zoom call this morning. And, and my uh, boss was like, whoa, that's pretty big. That's but, you know, pretty almost big. Almost all artists do self-portraits. If you go back through history, you know, we're cheap models, right? Yeah. Oh, we definitely are. We definitely are. Yeah. And aren't we always just exploring who we are and like that's the surface level of who you are and then what's behind that? You know, that's part of the that's what artists do. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So what did you learn about yourself doing this? And I'm not talking about how many wrinkles you had or the number of, you know, colors in your face or right. whatever. What did you learn? Um, I learned that after I was done working on it, I had to turn the photo around backwards. Like I couldn't (laughs) look at it any longer. Like I was, I was done. And, um, yeah, but working on myself, I actually was, the biggest thing was I was surprised at how I was just fine with working on, with my image, you know, like I was very anxious about it and there was no reason to be, it was fine. Is that the first time you had done a face? No, but it was the first time I did that big of a face. Right. My face. Because yeah. maybe working on your own image is a way of learning. Um, if you have somebody that you're making a portrait of, you want to please them, right? You want them to be happy with it. So if you work with your own face first, you can, you know, all, the only person you have to make happy is yourself. That is true. And, you know, I actually have um, a commission to do a 
a portrait of somebody oh, uh, in the works big? right now. Big. Yeah. And cool. yeah, I'm a little, I'm nervous about it, but I'll just, I'll do it. We'll see what happens. It's nice to have a commission though. It's nice to have someone um, trust you like that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially trusting with a face. <laughs> Their own face. <laughs> Their own face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh-huh. I wanted to ask you, you've done you've done series of things like the meandering rivers and maps and then the barnyard animals. Um, and you said you don't set out to work in a series, but you do. Do you feel like you're, you may go a different direction? And have you already decided what that direction is? Uh, I do feel like I'm going to go a different direction and I have no idea what it is. I, I tend to just get obsessed with something and then I explore that, you know, dig into it until I'm bored with it. And I haven't found that obsessive thing just yet. So I will just sew for a while and I'm sure something will happen if I just sit at my sewing machine. So what I find interesting too, is that you go from a certain amount of realism to, you know, just, just totally non-representational stuff. Yeah. This quote behind me, this strippy kind of thing I did um, right after I finished the Menagerie series, just because I needed to just sew straight lines and not not be representational, you know, just to have it be an abstract piece. I was just going to say, it's almost like a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Like you, you need the sorbet in between the fish and what comes after fish? I don't know what comes <laughs> after fish if you're, if you're having a formal dinner. <laughs> but, you know, it's you, I understand that entirely. Like... Um, you know, sometimes you, you said you walked away from quilting for a few months, and I actually think that's good for you. I think it's it's really refreshing to make yourself wait um, versus to start a whole lot of things you're either not going to finish or to feel feel pressured into, you know, being productive or creative or whatever. I think it's really good for you to do that. Just like a novelist might, you know, write a bunch of poems, you know, you're clearing your palate by uh, you know, creating ombre strips or something like that. Very cool. I tend to do that too when I'm upset. If I'm really <laughs> upset about something going on in the world or in my personal life, I will just do straight piecing. Yeah. It's just, it's repetitive and it's meditative. Like you yeah. don't have to think about it. It's just, you know, I make a lot of string quilt. I, well, not a lot, but I make about one a year. And it's kind of just like meditative. I don't have to think about it. It's just playing with color. And who cares? You know, like right. you can't and your go brain wrong doesn't, with a string quilt. Your brain doesn't have to work quite as hard. Like when I'm making art quilts, right. my brain is fully engaged all the time. So it's a like a, bit, a little bit more intense experience for me. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard that your brain uses the most calories in your body. And so hmm. my goal is to be able to eat all the chocolate I want by thinking. Uh, no, that, but I do know what you mean about really being exhausted. Like, Timna, you mentioned on January 4th, you were super tired. And Susan, you just said how hard you work. Sometimes it is the most exhausting work to be doing that deep thinking, the deep work that it takes to be creative. And I don't think that is recognized or valued in our society. And that drives me crazy. It's like you always have to be um, creating something that is physical or visible. And so much of the creative work that we do as artists happens 
while, you know, string piecing. It, it happens while we're sitting there and we are thinking, and it is hard work. It's hard to be creative. Well, you know, you know a lot of creativity is problem solving. That's what I love about quilting in general, is that you always, if you have a vision for what you want to create, you spend a lot of time figuring out how do I make that happen? How do I get that effect? How do I create that contrast? How do I make it look more realistic? Or whatever your problem is, it's the same as an engineering problem. In a way, you have to figure out, you have to find the right skill, the right tool, the right technique in order to get the result that you want. That's true. Yesterday, I um, long-armed a quilt for a friend of mine, and I long-armed for clients for about 15 years, and I haven't spent time with my long-arm machine in a while. And so I was quilting her quilt, and I was like remembering how much I enjoy long-arming in that I'm just sewing and my brain is turning over the problems of whatever other things I'm thinking about. And so it, I forget how important it is to just do that kind of, it's like meditation or yoga or whatever. You're like letting your brain go while your body is doing something else. You know, I always told people when I taught free motion quilting classes on domestic machines that for me, free motion quilting is very meditative. And they would laugh. The new pe- people are new, are so uptight and so terrified. They would laugh at me and they're like, no way will this ever be meditative. And I was like, well, for me, 10 years or 15 years ago, when I started doing this, it wasn't. But once you learn the skill, I just feel like I've had a massage when I'm done. <laughs> and, th- and people don't believe you. But isn't it true? I, I don't know about the massage. <laughs> but <laughs> That's why I do it. That's why I'm addicted to it because it it sends good those good endorphins I think through me when I do it now. So that's sort of how I I feel about my knitting. I used to say that you could tell if I was really upset or lonely or stressed out because I'd be knitting a lot. And if that were the case, the last 2 years should have sent me to the insane asylum because I've just been <laughs> Um, you know, it's my nighttime relaxed time. I just sit down and knit. Um, but it, the whole point is that my mind is free because my hands are busy. My mind is free and that I could be thinking or I could be watching TV or listening to a podcast or I could be watching a movie or whatever. And I do think there's something to that tactile thing that we get, whether it's from quilting or drawing or or whatever. It's so nice that we have that. What if we didn't have it? Yeah, it's been a, lot a of really people, hard couple of years. A lot of people don't do anything like that. And I can, I've never been able to understand how they can exist. <laughs> My husband is one of those people and I uh-huh. don't understand it. But he's also a drummer. So like he'll mm. go and like bang on the drums for a while. But oh, Tim, no, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's actually, it's okay. <laughs> we had neighbors, a neighbor who was a drummer who was not a good drummer. And that was a whole different experience. <laughs> I'm listening to Rich, he's pretty good. So it's okay. And he doesn't, you know, it's like 10 or 15 minutes and bangs it out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I need to be, if I'm watching TV or something, I have, I'm, I've been knitting too. And I, all I do is I knit a tube, just knit, 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 knit. I can't do anything fancy, but it's keeping your hands busy. It's like applique does the same thing. And it doesn't matter, actually, to me, it doesn't matter if I have to rip it out at the end. 
I, I'll just totally rip it out. I have no problem. I, I actually ripped out an entire sweater. An entire sweater. It well, I should, you know, that's that's another podcast and another story. But um I think that with our artwork though, we have to be willing, if we're not happy with it, we have to be willing to um get rid of it, to put it away, to not show it if it's something like that. I remember when I was in college, I took a lot of um uh, ceramics classes and I would constantly throw pots and throw them back into the um into the I forget what they call it, the slip bucket, because, you know, it was all about practicing getting better and it wasn't about creating 90 pots. It was creating one pot that I cared about. And that's sort of how I feel about art quilting too. It's okay if I practice, 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 or if I can't, if I find that I can't do um, a good, a good uh, free motion quilting thing, I will get a practice quilt out and I'll practice on that and I'll give it to the dog sanctuary if I need to. But at least I get to practice on something. You know, one of the things I did in my great purge of 2021 was some of my early quilts that we've used that I didn't love anymore. I sent them to Goodwill because I was like, I don't need these anymore. I took my name off of them. I took the labels off of them. Goodwill. <laughs> Uh, I just picked up a Tim Natar at, you know, the West Roxbury Goodwill. Exactly. No. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. that's actually freeing, isn't it? It was. I was like, I don't need this in my life anymore. And neither does anyone else that I know. Like, hmm. it's just let, let it go out of my life. So what do you think is going to be, you know, you've said you don't know necessarily what your next thing is going to be, but do you have, how do you, make that happen? Do you choose a color story? Do you, you know, what do you do to get that inspiration? Uh, I don't know. Right now I have a stack of fabrics that I've pulled and they're kind of um, almost like little calicos of different shapes and animals and fruits and I don't know, just little tiny designs. I've pulled them. I brought them home and I'm going to cut them up. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but they're in my basement right now waiting to be cut up. So it's usually, it starts with an image or a fabric or something, and then we'll see what happens. I remember from when you were on TV, you said you don't buy a lot of fabric, meaning you have thousands of pieces of fabric, but you don't buy big pieces. No, I buy a quarter yard of whatever. And I buy it when I like it, you know, because you may never see it again. Um yeah, which is not great if I need to put a binding on something because I don't have enough of any one fabric. But yeah, I just buy lots and lots of pieces. So so you've pulled a stack, you're massaging the fabric, you're rearranging it, and that's that's what you do until something comes to you? Or do you then start cutting Pretty and st- just... Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to make half square triangles because they're so uh, easy and uh, versatile. So I'll just mm-hmm. make a bunch of half-square triangles and see what happens. A mosaic with the half-square triangle uh, grid would be really fun. Just Ooh, saying. That's interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I charge big bucks for this. <laughs> but now you're, I've looked at your calendar too, Timna. You've got a lot of things on your calendar for the next year or two. Virtual teaching and real teaching. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to take this year off. And um uh, I kept saying yes. So, um, 
Yeah, I actually, I was, I've, I've been making kits for classes. That's what I've been doing this week. Oh. And uh, I thought, oh, I only have like four or five classes that I need to make kits for. And just before we started this podcast, I went and counted and I have nine. So <laughs> I need to go buy some more materials. And that's what I'm going to do is make kits. Yeah. So do you buy larger than a quarter yard if I you're going to do. do it for a kid yes. class? <laughs> yes. Gosh, I have this. I have a few bins in my basement. I would be more than willing to donate to your kids. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, we'll uh, chat I'll after. send you an email later. <laughs> <laughs> Had uh, you done a virtual teaching before COVID came along? And how have you enjoyed it? How's it going? Uh, so I have not done any, had not done any virtual teaching and I actually ha- did very little live virtual teaching through the pandemic. I did put some classes, um, on demand classes up, which uh-huh. was great. And, um, I've been doing live trunk shows, which I really like. I found that doing live teaching over the internet was not good for me. Like I didn't. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like it. Like, I don't want to sit, spend that much time in front of the computer. Yeah. So, um, and it wasn't that I didn't have anything to do with the class itself or the people in the class. It was just, this is not where I want to spend my time in front of the computer. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I love doing the trunk shows and I love them because you could, I have all of the quilts. I have images of them, you know, like I don't have to drag them around or, you know, I don't own some of them. So that's been, that's been great. So do you take your own photos of your quilts? No. I pay someone to do it because I am not good at it and I don't want to learn. So, mm-hmm. And a lot of your quilts are big, right. which makes it a lot harder to photograph them too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I have been you know, photographing some of the smaller ones, but yeah, the big ones I send out. There is something to what you just said. I don't do it and I don't want to learn. And, you know, some people would have a problem with the I don't want to learn thing, but there is just, there is only so much that one's brain can handle and so much equipment you can have in your house and so many things that you can be good at. If you can find someone who's good at that, that's terrific. And I think you also have to look at what you love doing the most and what you're the best at and prioritize. And that's part of, has been part of my change in the last few years and my thinking about, you know, every January I sit down and I look at my goals and I reprioritize and I think about what, I want to accomplish in the year. But if there are things that I don't really enjoy, and I'm with you on the the teaching virtually um, live, I, I just decided this is not my cup of tea. And I think that's good to recognize because none of us can do it all. None of us want to do everything. Um, so it's good to look at what you love, not just what you're good at, but what you love and focus so- on that. I have a question for you both then. So with this whole creative reboot thing and everything, what are your goals for 2022 artistically? You want to go first, Tim? No, I don't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) So artistically, I'm looking at finishing up this botanical series and moving on. I also have some older work that I'm pulling out and finishing that I wanted to finish. Um, And then after that, I think I'm going to go through a big brainstorming process. I I have really enjoyed working in a series, especially working towards getting an exhibition. So I think I'm going to do that. This is the first time I've really done that. And I've enjoyed it a lot. So I may try to do that again to think about venues where I'd like to exhibit. And um, 
I loved doing my open studio tour this past fall. So I'm going to be creating some smaller works that I can sell that are in the price range that a lot of my work sold in. So those are my primary business goals, I think, for myself. What about you, Timna? I have no goals. I my word. So <laughs> actually, I want to say, uh, Vivica. One time, you were at my house for quilting arts, and you asked mm-hmm. me, "Where do you? What's your goal for the next five years?" And I didn't have an answer. And I have thought about that so many times. Like, why don't I have an answer? And I still don't have an answer. And I, I feel like every time I give myself like those kinds of goals, like long term goals, I, I, I don't pull through. But if I do smaller short-term goals, I I do okay. So if it's like, you know, get the next quilt made, then that mm-hmm. happens. But like thinking five years from now, I'm like, oh my God, I can't even, I have no idea because everything good that's happened to me in the quilt world is not because I did anything about it. It's because things have, like I've put something out and somebody said, oh, that's interesting. And then said, do you want to teach? Do you want to go on quilting arts do you whatever it's not because yes you said yes yes. a lot yeah Yeah. saying yes is important and not that saying no isn't equally as important (laughs) it is is but sometimes (laughs) just what if a door opens and you are willing to step through it if it's the right door makes all the difference in the world yeah maybe that is your goal timna maybe not having a goal is your goal and i and i say that (laughs) Not to be funny, but I I really mean that, like being open to serendipity and being willing and and open to the yes is part of that goal. And, you know, just because, you know, I... I'm coming at it probably more from a business standpoint that, you know, I'm, I'm very goal oriented. I have a goal, I have, you know, a plan, et cetera, but that doesn't work for everyone. And, and it's okay to have that openness. Yeah. You know, I think too, that I didn't have set goals as much when I had younger children and when I was caring for my dad who had dementia, because I learned through that experience that it doesn't matter if you set the goals because everything is going to get blown to, you know, where just blown up because of the unpredictability of life, Uh, especially life with Mm. children or an elderly parent <laughs> that that it's it's kind of useless that you have to roll with it you just have to roll with the punches and and hang in there and hope to get meaningful work done in between all of that right all the and chaos. for me for me it's been more of a um an exercise sort of like um the exercise you have to do versus what you want to do i've always tried to you know set my goal set my intention at the beginning of the year have my word of the year, you know, the whole thing. And I love doing that. But like last year, my word of the year was bridge because I wanted to find a way to make all different parts of my life and my artwork, et cetera, um, communicate with each other and support one another, all of those things that are important. And I have spent more creative energy looking for a new word and a new intention this year. I can't come up with one. I, I do a word a year, a year and I have for a long time. And last year, my word was grace because I felt like I needed to give other people more grace and myself more mm-hmm. grace. And this year I decided I, I'm just going to use it again and give myself the grace of not <laughs> picking another word. And we could all give more grace. 
So Timna, I would love to choose that word, but my other three children would say, here it is again, mom. Grace is your favorite. Because <laughs> my daughter's name is Grace and it would just kill him if I did that. So maybe my word of the year should be Sam. <laughs> and no, you know, but I, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's, you know, it's wonderful. And we do all need that grace. So perfect. And I don't ever pick a word because it just kind of annoys me, that whole thing. <laughs> not that it might not work great for you. Might love it. But it just, it just doesn't work for me. It seems um, arbitrary. Well, I don't think any of your work, either one of you, is arbitrary. I am so thrilled, Timna, that you could join us today. I wish you all the grace and all of the success that 2022 could bring. Um, I'm so thrilled for you that you were able to have your show at Houston. And I'm so thrilled that you have a a fabric line and all of the good things that are happening this year. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks. Thanks so much for, for supporting me and having me on. It's great. That was another fascinating exploration into how someone's brain works. Wasn't it, Susan? It was. And everybody is so different. Interesting to see that she's kind of waiting to see what comes her way next. Open to exploration too. She said something and I'm probably quoting her incorrectly, but she said, isn't art all about exploring who we are? And I think that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whether you are aware of it or not, (laughs) it is. (laughs) So do you have a quote for us, Susan? I do. And I love this one. I've, I've used it a lot, especially on New Year's Day. And this is by Austrian poet and novelist Rainer Maria Rilke. And now we welcome the new year full of things that have never been. I love that idea that it is open to us and we're waiting to see what happens. A total fresh new beginning, a clean, clear journal with no entries. You're right. (laughs) Yep. Great talking to you, Susan. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to the Quilting Arts Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Our show notes with images, links, description, and more are available on quiltingdaily.com. Our producer is Daisha Clay, and our web producer is Sarah Erickson.